0: Like Shannon said, my name is David Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, again, just want to welcome you to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. I also want to welcome anybody who's listening to us on our website or our podcast. Um, before I get into the sermon today, I want to take a little bit of time to acknowledge the, uh, just the incredible, tragic tragic loss of life in Florida this uh, earlier this week uh, from... Um, Many of you know by now a single uh, gunman entered a high school in Florida and in in an attempt to kill as many people as he could, he tragically took the life of... uh, (laughs) Sorry, I thought I had all my crying done. (laughs) He tragically took the life of 17 students and teachers. And this is its just breaking my heart Because it's not just one time. It seems to be happening over and over and over again. And I just, it's it's getting harder and harder to handle. And I'm also thinking about, like, my five-year-old son has to do, like, preparedness drills because of this. And it's this terrible, terrible thing that's happening to us as a nation. So I want to take some time to just process through this with you guys, because this is important. It's important that we talk about it. It's important that we honor the people who, who, lo- who died, tragically. It's important that we talk about it so that we might, we might maybe speak up, so that we might be able to do something in the future. And so I'm not going to preach an entire sermon on this, but I do want to ask that you do three things with me. Uh, The first thing I I want to ask is that you let your heart be troubled by this. Just as this happens over and over and over again, it could almost almost be easy to just be jaded by it, right? Like, oh, it's just another one, it's far away, it doesn't mean anything, but I would just ask that you let your heart be troubled by this. The Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn. And I feel like that's what we should be doing in this time. Let your heart be troubled by this. The second thing I would ask you to do is to talk about this. Talk about this with your kids. Talk about this with your neighbors. But talk about it in a way that pleases your Father in Heaven. I know that emotions are high... I know that there are different stances and different arguments and it just seems like everybody's yelling, some out of fear, some out of anger, and some just because they like to yell. And so I would ask that you, as believers in Jesus Christ, as representatives of the kingdom of God, that you honor God with the way that you approach this subject. It's going to be hard. It's important that we talk about this. And I'm not asking you to be quiet. That's probably the worst thing that we could do. Would you, would you speak in a way that honors your Father in heaven? And then finally, would you, would you pray and pray again and continue to pray that our, that our nation would be healed, that the people who, who in, it, inflict this type of violence on other people, would, the, that cross-section of people would just get smaller and smaller until there, there are no more. Would you pray that the people who have been devastated by this terrible tragedy, that they be healed in a miraculous way? I was also thinking about just all the other people who, who experienced this in some other place, like this, these old wounds begin to reopen because it happened again. Would you pray for them? Would you pray for us as a, as a community that we might keep our heads? Would you pray and pray? So that's what I want to do right now and I, I hope that you would join me. I just want to pray for this, this situation. Holy Spirit, I just I, I just come before you and I, and I I'm almost at a loss for words I just it's just so hard to think about so hard to process. I, I know what the Bible says about sin. I know that you You will take sin away once and for all. We know that a day is coming, Father, that, that, that there will be no more tears and no more sadness, no more violence, no more victimizing, no more murder. And though we, we beg that that day would come sooner, come, God, come. God, will you comfort those who are mourning? God, will you repair? in a way that only you can. There's nothing that we could, I, I, don't, I don't know that there's anything that we could do as human beings to undo what has been done. But God, somehow you can miraculously heal broken hearts. And you can comfort people. God, I just, I just lift up the young man who decided to uh, to decide to inflict this violence on other people. God, you love him. It breaks your heart that he did that. God has that you would change his heart. That he would come to know you in a deeper and fuller way. God, will you protect our hearts from hate? Will you help us to grieve in a way that honors you? Will you help us to be a light in the darkness? Will you help us to be a clear voice when there's just so much chaos? God, will you help us? We need you, God. We need you. We need you now. We need you in the days and weeks and years ahead. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I need a second. Well, if you've been around the South Suburban Vineyard Church over the last several weeks, uh, we've been pretty excited. We've been pretty excited because we feel like God is doing some pretty amazing things here in our church, right? You've heard us talking over and over about this uh, giving campaign or this building campaign that we are uh, ramping toward called More Than We Can Imagine. Uh, we're going to keep talking about it because we're really excited about it. We feel like this is the direction that God is moving us as a community. And the, the, the building campaign or the giving campaign is designed to gather enough resources and more uh, to be able to purchase the building that we're sitting in right now. And not just uh, purchase this building but also do renovations in the building. And to also purchase the about seven acres that, that this uh, building sits on, all for an incredibly low price of about $500,000. It it's, it's almost miraculous, the, the opportunity that we have. And if you think $500,000 is a big number, I would, I would uh, ask you to consider, like, th- th- there's some homes, single-family homes just down the street that are approximately about the same price. And we have an opportunity to purchase a significant amount of land, nearly just ready to go building, a building that we want to uh, do some work in, but a fantastic, fantastic opportunity, and so this is exciting for us. I really feel like this is a, a, a milestone moment in the history of our church. I'm also personally very excited because I feel like not only, not only do we have this opportunity to, to you know, buy a building and do some renovation, but I also personally feel like God is going to do some pretty amazing things in the people sitting in this room. And I'm even more excited about what God is going to do because I feel like as I've been praying about this, as I've been thinking about this, I feel like, like we are going to be transformed. So much so that we're going to be unrecognizable at the other end of this thing. I just feel like God is going, to, uh, is going to move us to a place where we're operating in our spiritual gifts, gifts that for some of you have been dormant, gifts some, that some of you didn't even know you had. I'm excited about the, uh, uh, about the idea of like new faces coming up here to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, people stepping up into leadership. I'm excited about the expansion of not just not just, you know, the people sitting in this room, but just like the kids' ministry. I just really feel like the people of God are going to be transformed in a way that is unrecognizable on the backside of that. Amen. And so while it's, it's nice, it's nice, it's nice to get excited about a building, it's nice to get excited about renovations, but I am personally excited because I feel like God is doing something special in the people, in the people, the people sitting in this room, and I feel like we're, we're going to have a greater measure of influence that we've never had before, in our community, We're going to have greater opportunities to bless the people around us like we've never had before. And it's just so exciting to think about that, to dream about that, and to, to just sort of imagine, imagine what that will look like here for us. But, you know, I'll tell you what, in the midst of all this exciting change and the prospect of all these you know, things that we're dreaming about, there are some things that I feel like, or that we feel like, should never change. That is, we feel like God has called us to be a certain people in the south suburbs of Chicago, no matter what's going on with whatever, whatever building we're in, we could be out in the parking lot, we need to be the same group of people there as anywhere we are. Yes. And so we've, we started a series a couple weeks ago that we titled, This Is Us, uh, just really specifically talking about who we feel God has called us to be no matter what's going on around us. That God has stamped in us a certain uh, identity of who we are supposed to be in the South surface of Chicago. And so as, as some of you can um, recognize this graphic uh, and the name, it comes from a hit comedy, drama, dramedy, something like that, uh, on NBC, uh, I recognize that you know these images might be like emotional triggers for you guys. So if you guys just want to cry for a little bit, laugh, cry, just get it all out, let's, let's get through it together, and then you know, we'll move on together, but this apparently is a great show, I, have, I haven't seen, I've seen I think I've seen like three minutes of it, but uh, it's a great show, right, but we, we, what we love is the name, because the name is a very powerful statement, it's a very powerful statement, and so what we're saying is, listen, we're not perfect, we're not perfect, we, we don't know all the answers, but we're just, this is us. This is who God has called us to be. As we strive to do the things that God has called us to do, like, this is us. As we go forward, as we just sort of walk in faith, as we mess up, and we get back up, and we mess up, and we get back, hey, this is us. This is us. And so this is what, we, this is what we've been engaging in over the last couple of weeks, just really just talking about this idea of like, hey, we are called to be a certain group of people uh, here in the south suburbs of Chicago. And so we started the series a couple weeks ago talking about how we as a people need to be a place, we as a church need to be a place where the healers and the sick can come together. And that is, Gina described this place as a hospital, right? And that we should be a hospital ready, ready for whoever walks in the door. Like an e- I just imagine like ER, just people just sort of being rushed in and we're ready. We're ready to respond to whomever walks in that door, and whatever ailment, whatever bumps and bruises of life that ails them, we should be ready to respond. And as, I'll be honest with you, as Gina was uh, preaching that sermon, I I was like, I I think I'm the sick person. Like, I, I think, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm both, but I know that some of you in this room have done, like, spiritual, like, chest compressions on me to, like, revive me back to, like, the spiritual health that I needed to be in. And I know that this community has helped me uh, recover from some things, and walk, uh, walk out my healing journey toward Jesus. And I just also know that as, as I look out in the crowd, I've been had the opportunity to walk with some of you all, right, in our healing journey together. And so this is, where we, this is what we want to be. We want to be a place where the healers and the sick come together as we all walk toward Jesus. And last week, I thought Gino gave a great sermon talking about the familiar parable of the Good Samaritan, Just talking about how we need to be like good neighbors, excellent neighbors. Our hearts need to be moved with compassion and ready to respond to people who are in crisis. Our eyes should be ready, looking around, and and, and ready to respond to people who who are down and out, who are are broken, who are left on the side of the road, so to speak. We should be great neighbors responding to the people around us, not just in this room, but just even in the world around us. We need to be good neighbors. So this morning, I want to talk about, uh, I, I want to build on the last couple of weeks and talk about how we, as the people of God, need to welcome people well. We need to welcome people well. What do I mean by welcome? What I, what I mean is that I, like a heartfelt and sincere invitation into something that I am, where, a place where I am or an experience that I am experiencing, Right? And so just an example, you know, if, I, if I'm welcoming you into my house, I am sincerely inviting you to join me in my house, right? If we are welcoming people into this community of faith, we are sincerely bringing people into this community of faith, uh, and not just, not, just with a, uh, not just with any platitudes or, or anything like that, but we sincerely want people to join us, right? And so we need to be able to do that, do that well. Because it's, it's one thing to respond to people who are in crisis. And I feel like, you know, I, I am, part of my gifts, I guess, part of how I'm wired is I'm like ready. Hey, it's snowing, okay, let's get the shovel, let's go. You know, some people are hurting, okay, let's go, we'll get, we, need to go to pray, uh, we need to go to their house, we need to pray for them. It's one thing to respond to people who are in crisis. It's another thing altogether to welcome people in who don't necessarily have a perceived uh, crisis or perceived uh, ailment that they need to be uh, coached through or, or walked alongside. Uh, more specifically, it's even more challenging when that person is very, very, very different than you, right? And so, how do we welcome people who are different than us? Our stated value is that we want to be a diverse church, right? So, we if we need to be a, if we're going to be a diverse church, we had better welcome people well. We can't do one or the other. We need to welcome people well as we, as we ask for people of multi-generations. And we've asked for people who are, who are hurting. We ask for people who are across the aisle, so to speak, from us. We ask for people who look different than us, who talk differently than us, who smell differently than us, who, who, who are just different in, 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 in the ways that are good and sometimes in the ways that are challenging, right? And so we had better come to grips with the idea that we need to welcome people and do it well, do it in a healthy way, do it in a biblical, biblical way. So today I've titled today's sermon, This Is Us. We are a welcoming people. We are a welcoming people. And so to work through this, we'll be reading from uh, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. There's uh, plenty here in this passage, so we're really just going to camp out here. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. I'd love it if you would join me there. Uh, If you would like to follow along in a Bible, like a physical Bible, there are some at the edges of your row. Uh, uh, I I personally engage with the Bible through my phone, and so I won't be at all offended if you pull out an electronic device and uh, look at the Bible that way. The words will also be displayed on the screen if you prefer that. So Luke chapter 14, we'll start in verse 1. Talking about being a welcoming, welcoming people. While you're finding that, let me go ahead and pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, again, I just acknowledge that I need you. We need you. In order to do any of this well, you have to be here among us. And we could try, and we could pretend even, and we could try our best, but we won't be the people that you have called us to be without you being in our midst. So we say, come Holy Spirit, right now. Come Holy Spirit. God, I said you would just shut the mouth of the enemy that would try to lie to us, try to distract us, try to deceive us, try to move our attention away from the things that you're, you, you will want to say to us today. Lord, I ask that you would rebuke any unclean spirit in this place, anything that would just try to steal the show. Come, Holy Spirit. God, I ask that we would uh, soften our hearts to the things that you have to say. I ask that your words would even go beyond what are the words that are coming out of my mouth. I ask that you would be glorified this morning. Would you put power on this message? Let it change our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Uh, It's a long passage, so, so bear with me. It says, One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the religious law, Is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him, and sent him away. Then he turned to them and said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. Verse 7. When Jesus, Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. And I love I love how it says advice, right? When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give that person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Verse 12. Then he turned to the host. When you put out a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or rich neighbors, for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Verse 15, hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replies with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell his guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and I must inspect it. Please, excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There's still room for more. So his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Wow. Some pretty hefty words from Jesus. So what do we see here in this passage? Well, we see uh, a picture of uh, what seems to be a full house. Jesus is out on the road on some ministry tour that he's doing, and he's, he's been invited to join a, a, um, a, a Pharisee or a leader of the, the religious law in that, in that particular community. And so not only is Jesus with that guy, but he's also apparently with a whole bunch of other people because like, there's sick there, there's, there's, like, his disciples are there, there's other religious leaders there. And so uh, not only is Jesus in a full house, but Jesus is doing what Jesus often does, is it sort of like taking control of the situation and using this as a teaching moment. And so we see a few, a few things that Jesus is teaching the people uh, during this experience. And I feel like what Jesus is teaching them can really help us understand what it means to be a welcoming people. A welcoming people. And so as I often do, as I try to process things, I often ask questions. I often ask big questions and sort of organize my thoughts in that way. So, so I'm going to organize the talk today just asking and answering three big questions about what it might look like for us to be a welcoming people. What, and, and, and also, what, what does that look like in our lives? How, how does it affect us? What, what types of things do we need to do in order to be a welcoming people? Well, the first big question, and maybe the most important question, is what are we welcoming or inviting people into? What are we actually welcoming people into? And I think this is a very important question because if we get this answer wrong, the rest of the sermon at the very least, but also just the rest of our trajectory as as a people can often be misguided and headed in the wrong direction. So what are, we, what are we supposed to be as a community of believers here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church, believers in Jesus Christ, what should we be drawing people into? What should we be welcoming people into? I think the most succinct answer that I could come up with is that we as believers in Jesus should be welcoming people into a fruitful life with God. A fruitful life with God. This is the picture that we see uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. God created humanity and he puts two uh, probably very good-looking people in a, in a good-looking garden and he surrounds uh, Adam and Eve with, with bounty and fruit of all kinds. And then, and then not only that, but in ver- uh, chapter three, Genesis chapter 3, uh, the Bible tells us that God walked with them. God walked with them. And so it just seems like even from the very beginning, God's design for our existence as human beings is that we would be surrounded by his goodness and that he would be with us, that he would walk with us, that we would experience a fruitful life with him. And as, as we sort of just continue on in the Bible, uh, as, the, as the people of God are, are, create, are just sort of uh, becoming a nation of their own, God says, I'll tell you what. Even though you've been up to some shenanigans, I'll tell you what, I will be your God and you will be my people. Let me make a covenant with you. Let me make an everlasting promise with you that you will be my people and I will be your God and I will bless you and I will surround you with blessings and I will bless generation after generation after generation and I will be with you so long as you follow the law. Uh Uh-oh. So long as you obey me, so long as you stay in step with me, I will bless you. I will bless you. I will bless you. And so, so even, even in the construct of the law of Moses, you know, sometimes we feel like law is like terrible, right? But God designed it so that the parameters of that law would bring blessing, bring a fruitful life with him. So we continue on in the Bible and over and over, you know, the, the people of God, they, they experience this blessing and they're, they're walking with God and, you know, they, then they drift away. Then they walk with God and they connect with him and then they drift away. And over and over throughout the Old Testament, we hear prophet after prophet say, hey, God wants to live with you. God wants to be your God. God wants to bless you. Just come back. Come back into right relationship with him. God always wanted to be in a right and beautiful relationship With his people. And I think this is, and then Jesus shows up on the scene and he says it just straight up. He says, Hey, I have come to give you life. I have come to make all things new. I have come to restore what is broken, to bring sight to the blind, to to set the captives free. I have come so that you might have an an experience with your Father in heaven in a way that you've never had before. And in fact, I I feel like this is the, the picture that we see in the story. That Jesus tells, starting in verse 16. He says, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. God isn't a God who throws us scraps, He's not a God who is distant or a God who puts His, his foot on our necks. God is a God who invites us into bounty, into blessing into a life that is fruitful and, and, and life-giving, a life that is connected with him. And this is why Jesus came to the... This is why Jesus came. This is why he died on the cross. He took our sins so that we wouldn't have to die and be separated from our Father in heaven. he paved the way so that we can have an everlasting, forever, fruitful life with God. Right, And so I think this is really important that we keep maintaining this perspective because as we invite people into what we have, this should be what we are advertising. This is what we should be advertising. Hey, guys, come into this thing that I'm a part of. Why? Because God wants you to live a fruitful life. God wants to live with you. God wants to change your life. This is the perspective that we should have at the tip of our tongues as we talk to other people, say, hey, guys, come on. Come experience the life that God has, has, has gifted me with. Come experience the gifts that God has given me. This should be our primary objective, right? Unfortunately, we church people very often get this wrong. And, you know, I, it's, it's well-intentioned. It, it is probably very innocent. But a lot of times we put other things ahead of that. Ahead of, of bringing people into a life with God. And so what, what do we do? We overemphasize some things. Sometimes we overemphasize the church building. So we invite people into this really awesome building. This really awesome Sunday experience. This really awesome kids ministry. This place where you're going to feel happy. And so we overemphasize the church building. I really appreciate that the story starts with Jesus performing a miracle inside somebody's living room. That is, the kingdom of God is anywhere. It's not necessarily in a church building, right? Now, in the same breath, I want to say that it's okay to have a church building, right? You think, like, this is a counterproductive point for somebody who's trying to, like, help with the building campaign here. I'm not <laughs> Let me be really careful about this. We, but I, I, I want to be careful, but I also want to be very clear and state this very clearly from this pulpit. That no matter what this building looks like, it should never, ever be our top priority. It should never, ever take the place of our efforts to bring people into a, a, a closer relationship with their Father in Heaven. Our mission, of the South Suburban Vineyard, is to extend the kingdom of God in the south suburbs of Chicago. To bring people who, who don't yet know God into a relationship with him. And people who do know him into a, an even closer relationship with him. It doesn't matter where we are, right? It doesn't matter where we are, what the building looks like. Yes, we want the building to be awesome. Yes, we want it to, to, to have some, some nice things in it. But this is never ever going to be our top priority. In fact, I I just feel like we got an awesome group of people. I just wish that you all can be in a nice building. That's that's really my heart, you know. That's really our heart. Is that we just simply want the building wants? We're trying to match like your awesomeness. (laughs) That's that's we got to raise a lot of money to do that. Like you guys are pretty pretty great. But the build, you know, sometimes we do that. And so so even as as we launch toward a building campaign, we got to be really careful, right? Not to invite people to a building. We are inviting people into a relationship with their Father in Heaven, right? Another thing that, you know, church people unwittingly do or, or maybe purposefully do is that they put too much emphasis on church leaders, church leaders. And one of the things I absolutely love about Gino and Shannon is that um, sometimes they're almost embarrassed, like when you put them on the spot. And that's not, that's not anything negative about them. They're just, they're just such humble people that it's almost like to them it would be inappropriate if you raise them up too high. And I think that they have a kingdom perspective of what church leadership is all about. Jesus says, the, the, the high will be humbled and the humbled will be exalted. But sometimes we'd we say, hey, hey, why don't you come to my, my pastor's church, Pastor So-and-So. He's a great, great pastor. Hey, hey, come to come to apostle. She, she's, a, she's an awesome apostle. Come to, come to this, this, this ministry. They're, they're great. And so, you know, I've, I've been a pastor's kid my whole life. I was born into it. I've seen the inside and outside of church. I've seen church leaders up close and personal, and I'll, I'll tell you a secret. They are human just like you. <laughs> Many of them are more broken than you, okay? And, it's, and, and I don't mean to badmouth anybody. What I'm just saying is that, is that sometimes we unwittingly just sort of follow people. We just sort of, we just sort of get swept away in their charisma, And I think it's just so important to, again, remind us over and over, as we invite people in, as we welcome people in and say, hey, come on in, that we are welcoming them toward a relationship with their Father in heaven, not any human being who is alive. Amen? And so we we, I don't know, we probably don't do it on purpose, but sometimes we overemphasize church leaders last thing we sometimes overemphasize, which the list could probably go on and on, but the last thing I'll touch on is sometimes we overemphasize our church relationships. We overemphasize our church relationships. Listen, you all are some of my closest friends. You're great. I love you. Like, sincerely. You know, I'm, I'm willing to let you guys watch. Well, some of you. Some of you watch my kids. Not all of you. But I mean, you all are wonderful people. And so as I'm inviting people, you know, toward, you know, the, what God is doing in the South Suburban Vineyard Church, I think we just miss the mark if we're invite, simply inviting them into a bunch of nice relationships. I'll tell you what, a nightmare scenario for me, a nightmare scenario is that this church will just simply become a social club. I mean, I just, I just, I, I've never thought of going to another church, honestly, but I think I would if this church just simply was just a social club. Ineffective in kingdom ministry, not really looking to the things beyond these walls, just so tight-knit that anybody who tries to come in the door would just just feel unwelcome. That would be terrible for our church. And so we as a people who say, hey, we're going to be welcoming people. Yes, we get to enjoy wonderful relationships. Yes, yes, we do get to enjoy those things. But ultimately, what we are inviting you to is an eternal relationship with who? Our Father in Heaven. You all are nice, but God is nicer. Right? And so that's, that should be our focus. And so we, as we ask this question, what are we actually inviting people into? That's a very important question. As we invite people into this church, as we invite people into an experience with the Kingdom of God, what are we actually inviting? inviting them into. My hope is that you are inviting them to join you in a fruitful relationship with your Father in heaven. Amen? All right, so the next next big question that I that I want to ask this morning is, okay, now we have an idea of, of what we're supposed to be inviting people into. The question now is, who do we invite? Who do we invite? Well, I don't the answer is pretty straightforward, and I don't think we should overcomplicate it. We'll break it down a little bit, but that's not overcomplicated. The answer is everyone. Everyone. And I want to read this story because, you know, there are some people, it seems like, who might be in and might be out. Okay, let's read this story, and, and then uh, we'll, we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Starting in verse 16, Jesus tells this story. It says, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. So the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servants had done this, he reported... There's still more room for more. So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Now we read that story, it was like, well, well maybe the people that we should focus on are the people who have disabilities the people who are struggling with that. No, you read the story, listen, everybody's invited. Everybody... At the end of the story, everybody got invited. Now, some people rejected the invitation, but everybody got invited. And this is really important. And just a couple of things I want to draw from this. Uh, as, as we talk about who gets to be invited, the first thing I, w- I want to say just very clearly is that you and I don't get to decide who gets welcomed into the kingdom of God. We don't get to decide who gets welcomed into the kingdom of God. And I, as I was preparing this, I realized, like, I think I say some version of this in just about every sermon that I preach, or at least for the last little while. Uh, but I do so because I think it's, it's important. Uh, and maybe I'm just sort of preaching to myself, but I, I very often uh, find myself to be very preference-driven, about what I think about, I think about uh, who I want to do life with here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. You know, if a, if a certain cross-section of society were to find its way into the door, like, I would be happy. Like, I, I, I'm preferential about who I want to interact with. And so maybe subconsciously, I don't know, maybe overtly, I don't know, like, like I sometimes act as a gatekeeper as to who, I get, who is invited into this marvelous community. And maybe I'm preaching to myself, but it, it might be the case that you all do that too. And so, and so I just feel like as we look at Scripture, as we look at Jesus, even in this passage, as he gets upset with people who rejected him, he still invited everybody. He still invited everybody. Everybody gets a chance to say yes or to say no. This is really, really important. And so as we as the South Suburban Vineyards, as we as a, as a group of people... We need to be mindful. We need to be mindful about extending a hearty and sincere welcome to anybody who would want to experience life with God. You look at this passage, and I think we can also learn that even though the invitation is extended to everybody, many, many will reject it. Many will reject it. And I I realize that That can be uh, a struggle. Especially those of us who are uh, very hurt by rejection. And so, you know, to just kind of process this well, I want to consider the ministry of Jesus. Let me just let me just kind of outline some of the things that Jesus did. Okay, so Jesus shows up on the scene and he's preaching the gospel in a way that no one has ever preached before. He's healing people left and right. Here in this passage, Jesus is at a dinner party, and he, like, heals somebody. Everywhere he goes, he's healing people. Everywhere he goes, he's casting out demons. Everywhere he goes, he's preaching with authority. He's, he's literally changing the game in the spiritual realm. And on top of all that, if you need a cherry, if you need a cherry on top of that, he is raising people from the dead. Like, not, not like, like oh, they fell asleep, okay, hey, just let's get him up, hey, there, right, someone, no, 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 like like, dude was buried for days, and he says, Lazarus, come out, and a dead man walked out of a tomb, like, that's Jesus, okay, Jesus is the Son of God, and he made it plain as day, at least to us, right, and even he was rejected, like that guy, the Son of God came to the earth as a human being and did things that no other human had ever done. And people still rejected him. It's it's, it's confounding. And I mean, I'd like to believe that if I lived in that that time that I would, oh yes, of course follow Jesus. Right? But we we should consider this when we think about our success rate and as we invite people into life with god as we invite people into a life-giving relationship with god we will very likely experience rejection in fact it's almost it's, it's a guarantee rejection will probably be, a, be will probably be a significant part of the equation as we welcome people and this it is important to think through this because this this can be frustrating it can be frustrating, especially as we as we like sincerely try to uh, walk with people. We try to heal people. We try to help people work through different things. We give our resources to them. We we do so much for them, and then they're gone. It's like, what happened? What happened? And Jesus even says it in this passage. He says the the guy set up a banquet. And when he was rejected, he was infuriated. And I just feel like this is, this is part of the process. And I don't, honestly, I don't mean to be like a Debbie Downer or whatever. I just, but it's important that we process through this. That as we are a welcoming people, welcoming doesn't necessarily mean that everybody's going to come. And so there's just having a healthy sense of that is worth talking about. Uh, as we talk about being a welcoming people, as we talk about who gets to be invited, because what, what might happen is that we just we're going to try to go for the highest probability yeses, right We're going to try to target how we do things so that you know, we could feel good about ourselves. And we might marginalize some people, We might exclude some people. If we, just, if we just want the numbers, if we, would just, if we don't want rejection to be a part of this, we might do things in different ways that would exclude people. And I say, no, we can't. We can't do that. We have to welcome anyone and everyone. Amen? All right, the third and final big question that I'll ask this morning, uh, it's actually one of my favorite small group questions. Uh, it is, uh, what can make this difficult? If you've been in a small group uh, that I've led, I actually, say, I actually ask this question a bit more forcefully. I usually say something like, why are we failing at this? Like, why, why are we so terrible at this? Uh, and, you know, so for the sake of our sermon, um, to appease you, I'll, I'll file off the edge a little bit and just say, why, why is this difficult? Why is it difficult to be a welcoming, uh, welcoming people? Well, I, I feel like there are three scenarios presented in this passage that aren't necessarily focused on welcoming people, but I feel like they, they, they allow us to draw some, some insight, some wisdom that will help us to be effective and healthy, welcoming people. In all three of these scenarios, all three of these teaching moments that Jesus uh, goes through with the people around him, all of them have to do with focus. That is, what, what we might be preoccupied with in the moments where we have the opportunity to welcome people well. What's distracting us? What's pulling our attention? We have an opportunity to welcome people to, and to do it well. What might pull our attention away? What might decrease our ability to focus on the task at hand? Well, the first, the first thing is uh, we might be preoccupied with our righteousness. We might be preoccupied with our righteousness. This is what we see uh, Jesus dealing with as he engages the Pharisees. I'll read the the section starting in verse 1. It says, One Sabbath day Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. There was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When, when they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Then he returned to them and said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. And so we, here we have this kingdom moment, right? Right? Jesus has the opportunity to heal this person, to bring the kingdom of God, to maybe restore this man's life and well-being and perhaps restore him in society. And I mean, who knows the implications of of his healing? Jesus has the opportunity to do this. And while Jesus is a no-brainer that he should be healed, the Pharisees are struggling with this. They're wondering, how can I keep to the law and still love people? How can I maintain my righteousness and still follow Jesus? Maybe you know I'm, I'm reading into it a little bit. But they're struggling with this. They don't answer, right? They're not being combative. They're not, you know, they're not trying to argue with Jesus. I mean, it just seems like they're really struggling with their desire to keep the law. And so sometimes I feel like we villainize like the Pharisees or the religious leaders, like. Like, especially, I'll just say in this circumstance, sometimes they're just jerks. Sometimes they're just nagging after Jesus and they're just picking a fight. But these, it just seems like these guys, they're interested in Jesus. They have him in his home. He has him in his home. And he's, and he's confounded by this guy who says he's the Jewish Messiah, but seemingly breaking Jewish law. And before you say, oh, you know, those guys, they take the law, they get carried away, and, you know, they're just... You know they're just so uptight. Well, n- not quite. All right. Uh, in in Numbers chapter fifteen, the Old Testament book of Numbers, there's a story of a guy who uh, picks up wood on the Sabbath day, and the other men in the community take him to Moses, and Moses says, "Hey God, what am I supposed to what am I supposed to do with this guy?" And what does God tell Moses? That guy has to die. And so the people of the the people of the community were, uh, like, took the guy to the outside of the town, and they like stoned him. And so, I mean, you can imagine, every moment after that, it's like, whoa, we better not do anything. If we breathe too hard on the Sabbath, we might die. Like, there are serious consequences. And so, so let's not villainize the Pharisees for trying to maintain the law. They're struggling to maintain their righteousness, and still be a welcoming people, and still be a, a people who might extend the goodness of God. And so I, I read this and I just feel like, like, man, as we, as we are called to be welcoming people, people who extend the kingdom of God to anybody and everybody, we're probably going to encounter situations like this. Where we have to wrestle through maybe some, some moral ambiguity. Sometimes it's not so ambiguous. Sometimes it's pretty clear cut. Sometimes it's like, man, what is what is God's heart here? It feels like, like my my righteousness might be in jeopardy. I think about just some of the experiences that I have at work, just sitting around a table with a with a bunch of ironworkers, and I, I don't know if any of you have had that experience. But listen, they don't tell they tell stories that aren't for you know tender ears. I mean, just the way that they comport themselves, just the way it's just a cultural thing. It's it's uh, you know other other cross sections of society do the same thing, so it's not just our workers, but these guys and and so I struggle i'm thinking like like man me, me being here am I is it okay that I'm trying to be like a representative of the kingdom of God and still sort of like mingle with these guys like like my, my like i'm trying to I'm trying to be a you know a welcoming person, so to speak right I'm trying to maybe by some you know rubbing off on them, maybe they will Maybe they will be interested in God. But I struggle with this. I struggle with this. You know, maybe you struggle with this. I was thinking about, you know, you, you're at the, at the beauty shop and you know, all the ladies are gossiping or whatever, and you know, he's like, you know what, let me, I, just, I just feel like I need to be a kingdom witness here. I need to, I need you know, I, let me just join in the conversation just so that the ladies, you know, I can still maintain a level of, it, you know, relationship with them, but, you know, I, I know that I'm stretching the line here, but some of these, some of these situations are, are, are they're clear cut, I, I would say, for the vast majority, but other times, uh, they're not. Uh, and it, it's important that we wrestle through this, because we want to be welcoming. How do we love people who just, who just live a life that is absolutely contrary to the things of God? How do we love people who have an an extremely different view of sexuality and sexual identity than you? How do you hang out with them? Do you go to the places they hang out? Do you walk life with them? Some of these situations are a little little touchy. How do I maintain my righteousness, right? Right? And I, and I also want to just say, also very clearly, that I just hear so many believers in Jesus using this as a pretext to just do whatever they want to do. I say, like, you know what, I just, you know, getting drunk with my boy, like, hey, I'm just trying to love him. You know, he, need, he, needs, he needs a buddy. He needs a buddy. Hey, hey, I want to be a kingdom witness in that strip club. Like, you know, no one else is in there who's a kingdom witness. I feel like I need to be there. Right? Some of these are like, what? No, no man, that, it doesn't work like that, right? And so Jesus, Jesus is asking this question, like, hey, is it, is it against the law to love somebody, to restore them on a day where you're not supposed to do any work? And so we wrestle with this. And so I just, I know I'm ex- uh, spending a lot of time on this point, because this, this, is, this is one of the ones that, that can really sink us. We try to be, uh, try to just sort of adopt any of the cultural norms. We, we can get sunk under that really quickly, and so I, I just, I just want to offer a couple guiding principles uh, because it seems like Jesus is kind of shifting the line a little bit. What I see Jesus, is, what I see Jesus doing, is that He is loving people no matter what. He is loving people and restoring people no matter what. And so we see Jesus in a different uh, section of Scripture say, "Hey, what are the what is the most important law? That is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, strength, every part of you. Love the Lord your God. And an equally equally important is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so if there's ever a conflict within the law, love wins. Love wins." If there's ever ambiguity, love wins. And here's the second caveat to this sort of guiding principle. Jesus never did anything that would offend God. Jesus never did anything that would offend God. So we don't see Jesus adopting culture uh, cultural norms. We don't see him you know, hanging out in certain places that would offend God. Yes, he did go to where the broken were. But he did so in a way that would honor God. He talked to people who were of low class, you know, just thinking about him talking to tax collectors, sinners. Where other people, other righteous people were indignant that this guy would go and talk to these people. He did so in a way that honored God. All right? And so yes, we want to be welcoming. Yes, we want to engage life on life. Yes, we want to walk with people who are different than us. But We always need to keep love at the front. And always honor God in what we do. Amen? Amen. All right. So the second, the second thing that that we might be preoccupied with is we might be preoccupied with our position. Our position. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus um, kind of pulls back some of these guys' excitement, starting in verse seven, and tries to help them understand. Um, their position, he says, when Jesus noticed that all who had come to, the, come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. Again, I love that. Here's some advice from Jesus. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit at the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you also has also been invited? The host will come and say, give, that, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, you will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What could could complicate our ability to welcome people? It is our preoccupation with our position. If you're like me, you might get sucked into clamoring for position, clamoring for the best seat, clamoring for uh, notoriety, or just simply you want to be noticed, right? And I feel like this is a human condition. Yes, I deal with it, but you know some of you might as well. And so here in the church, what... How does that play itself out? Well, uh, um, it seems as though much of church growth has to do with comfort level. That is, there are different stages in which a church will grow, and then, you know, at a certain point, people get really comfortable, like they have figured out their seats. I'm looking at you all, and some of you are sitting in your seat, right? Right? And so what if a family comes in and, like, sits in your row, like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, ushers, ushers. Help me out. And so that's a silly example, but I mean, what if somebody else comes in who, who's a little bit better of a singer than you, and suddenly you're on the back row? What if somebody comes in who's a little bit better preacher than you, a little bit better small group leader than you, a little bit better this than you, and suddenly it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, I, hey, we're welcoming, okay? Well, I welcome you, but just, but just, you know, you stay over there. You stay in your place. I earned this place. I've been here 10 years. Right? And so this is a trap that we could fall into. And maybe it doesn't happen to everybody, and maybe it's not every situation, but this is a trap that we could fall into, is that we, we are preoccupied with our position. We are clamoring for a, a certain position, a certain title, a certain whatever. And what we as a community of believers, and what we try to do, even through our humanness, is that we try to, uh, as leaders, we try to be as humble as we can. And this is the culture that we want here at the South Suburban Vineyard Church. That those who are humble will be exalted. And anybody who thinks that they earn something, they will be humbled quickly. So that's who we want to be here at the South Suburban Vineyard. And finally, and I'll end with this, worship team, you can come up. We can be preoccupied with our own agenda preoccupied with our own agenda. Quite frankly, that's just simply called sin, okay? You ever want a definition for sin? It's just simply you doing what you want to do when you want to do it. And so that we read this it, within the context of the, the story that Jesus is telling. He says, a man prepared a great feast. And it just seems like the people who invited him says, says, hey, I can't come. I got this other thing going on. God is calling you into a life with him. God is calling you to his banqueting table. You're like, eh. I don't know if I don't know if I if I can swing that. And so, what does that look like in our context? What does that look like as a community of believers? Well, it looks like that, you know God calling us to 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 do things out in the community. And you know, you're like, well, you know, I just I don't I don't feel like doing that. I, I don't really feel like helping seniors out of their houses. Uh, you know, I just restoration ministry. You know, that, that they're great ministry. I just I don't know. I just don't feel like it. Saturdays are my days. And, of course, the list can go on and on and on. And so as we welcome people, as we, as we try to help people engage with the living God, we have to lay down our agendas. We have to. It's hard to disciple somebody and still maintain your regular routine of life. There's got to be some sacrifice. It's hard to bring people along into a life-giving relationship with their Father in Heaven and still do absolutely everything on your schedule. You're going to have to give up some shows. You're going to have to give up some of your your regular routine. You might even need to give up a little bit of your family time. There's some sacrifices that you need to make in order to be a welcoming people. Amen? All right, so how do we put this all together real quick? Listen, God wants a life with us that is more than we can imagine. A life that is... Uh, fruitful, as a life engaged with him, a life that is empowered by his spirit, a life that Jesus Christ died for. He wants that for us. Not only does he want that for us, but he wants us to extend that to the people around us. He wants us to welcome people into this community of believers, into this, you know, just sort of church, the church that I'm looking at right now. He wants more people. Not so that we can be a social club. Not so that we can, you know, just, just have a nice building and have a nice coffee and have a nice Sunday experience. He wants it so that the kingdom of God will extend further. And as more people come in, then the kingdom of God will extend further. And more, and then the kingdom of God will extend further. And so we want to be a welcoming community. We, yes, we want to grow. Why? So that we can extend the kingdom of God further and further and further. So this is who we want to be. It doesn't matter what building we're in. Doesn't matter what situation we're in. Doesn't matter what year we are as a church. This is who God has called us to be. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, I, I just I I realize that just about everything that I said is really hard. It's really hard apart from you. really hard apart from your spirit uh, Father I ask that we, I ask that you would empower us I ask that you would guide us I ask that you would speak to us I ask that you would help us to do the things that you have called us to do so God I say come, come now come in this moment come, come knock away the things that need to be knocked away so that our hearts might be changed right now in Jesus name God help us to walk this out in a meaningful way not in some theoretical or philosophical way. God, help us to walk this out that we might be a a, a people of God who are welcoming, people who are loving, people who are looking outward, people who are waiting for that next person to invite them into a life-giving relationship with you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work in us. In Jesus' name.